Well, here we are on the Living Faith Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Father Peter Smith, and I'm your host. This week is another episode in the Gospel and Politics series here on the podcast, and specifically, we'll be continuing our conversation about some tools that we need in order to think critically about our political landscape. Now, this week's episode is called Political Toolbox, Part 2 of 2. Last week, of course, was Part 1 of the Political Toolbox, and we discussed three specific tools, all which come in the form of important distinctions. And what these distinctions do is help us better understand the intersection between the gospel and politics, and as a result, help us to make more gospel-centered decisions in the political realm. The first tool we discussed was the difference between conservatism and progressivism. The second tool was activity versus passivity. And the third tool was patriotism versus nationalism. This week, we look at another five tools. And so we're going to start off today's episode with tool number four, church versus state. In the United States of America, we've made a distinction between church and state. We find this outlined for us in the First Amendment of the Constitution, which says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. It was critical to our founding fathers that our Constitution established the separation of the two so that the state did not make inappropriate restrictions on the church and so that the church did not make inappropriate advances on the state. Now, at the time the Constitution was written, the majority of the colonists were Christians, but of varying stripes. You had Catholics, Anglicans, Puritans, Baptists, Anabaptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, and so on. And many of these people had fled persecution of their specific denomination in the old world of Europe and were seeking religious freedom in the new world. So the First Amendment guaranteed that no official religion or denomination would become the state religion, and that the state could not prohibit any free practice of religion, whatever that religion or denomination might be. Religious liberty is one of the ideals that makes our nation great. It is still the case, even though now there are all sorts of religions represented in this country, and none of them should be prohibited, while also none of them should be touted as the official religion of the government. Now, the implications of this distinction between church and state, or perhaps better put, religion and state, has long been argued over and is still argued over to this day. But it's important for us to acknowledge that this distinction promotes two really important things. First of all, it prevents the government from infringing upon our religious practices. We don't want the government forcing churches to do things that violate our conscience, for example, performing gay marriages. But second, it prevents religious groups from forcing their will upon the government such that other religious groups or peoples are discriminated against. We should want our government to be indiscriminate when it comes to religion. In other words, we cannot and should not try and force our entire country to live out Christian doctrine and ethics. However, inside the church, we have to acknowledge that there needs to be discrimination, meaning we expect our clergy and our lay people both to live out the Christian doctrine and ethics and not some other form, whether Hinduism or Islam or secular atheism. 
So here's the bottom line. What we advocate for in the church isn't necessarily what we also want in the state and vice versa. Tool number five, morality versus legality. Well, what's morality? Morality is that which is good. It is represented by virtues and principles of behavior. And different individuals and groups have different conceptions of the good and therefore of morality. And certainly, we as Christians have a very clear understanding of the morality which we find in God's Word. Now, what is legality? Legality is that which is lawful. And who establishes what is lawful? The government does. And in our case, the government as representative of the people. Morality does not equal legality. And legality does not equal morality. They are two different things. Sometimes what is moral is also legal, and sometimes it isn't. Sometimes what is legal is also moral, and sometimes it isn't. For example, giving to charity is both moral and legal. Adultery is legal, but it is not moral. Sharing the gospel is moral, but in many countries, it's not legal. Well, so what do we do with that? Should we advocate that all moral things be legal and all immoral things be illegal? Think about that for just a moment. I think the only obvious part of the answer to that question is that we should want all moral behavior to be legal. Everything that is good should also be lawful, right? The question is, should all immoral things also be illegal? Or should some immoral things be legal and other immoral things illegal? For example, should gay marriage be illegal, but heterosexual adultery legal? What's our rationale for the answer we come up with? Do we even have one? We need one. But at the same time, we also must keep in mind the tool we just discussed, that not everything we advocate for in the church is what we advocate for in society. Christians must always start with morality, from this biblical understanding of what is good, right, and beautiful. In other words, we need to be really careful that what is legal isn't our only understanding of what is moral as it is for some people in the world. But then, after we understand biblical morality, we need to have a consistent and compelling case for how we pursue what is moral when it comes to what is legal and illegal in our nation's laws. Here's the bottom line. We need to be governed by Christian morality first and foremost, and then consistently apply our morality to legality. Here's tool number six. Morality of the person's views versus morality of the person. When we consider a political candidate or representative in our government, we need to be able to see the difference between the views that a person holds and the life that that person lives. Often we tend to assume that if a person's political views and values are moral, 
then that person is also given to moral behavior. For example, that person is pro-life. That's an important view. But does that make the person moral? Are they greedy? Are they dishonest? Are they adulterous? Consider this, if a person is immoral in their behavior, then no matter how moral their views might be, what reason do we have to trust that they will even live up to those moral views? Or consider this, is good leadership simply articulating the right principles? Or is it also practicing those same principles? We should be concerned as Christians with electing candidates who both hold moral views and are morally upright themselves. In other words, we want trustworthy leaders. If we always vote along party lines, in addition to some of the other problems which I've stated in previous episodes, it is quite possible that we are buying into the belief that a candidate's behavior and personal morality is irrelevant and that all that matters is the candidate's views on what is moral. Here's the bottom line. We need to evaluate both the morality of the person's views and the morality of the person himself or herself. Tool number seven, ends versus means. Ends are the things that we pursue. In Greek, the word is telos, which refers to our ultimate aims and goals. Means, on the other hand, are the ways in which we pursue those things. They are the practices and the behaviors that we employ in our pursuit of our ends. Now, you've heard the saying, the end justifies the means, right? That's simply unbiblical. It does not represent Christian ethics, but in fact, secular utilitarian ethics. God is a God who pursues the good, the right, and the beautiful, and who always uses good, right, and beautiful means to achieve those things. So a part of our life of Christian morality is to pursue good ends, but using good means. If in any sphere of our lives as Christians, including the political sphere, we advocate for good ends through bad means, we undercut our own integrity and morality. For example, this is what happens if we legitimize a politician's efforts to do whatever it takes to win, even if it's immoral or illegal, simply because we believe that it's a good thing that that person does win. Using evil to accomplish good spoils the good. Therefore, the bottom line is this. We need to resist both evil ends and evil means. Here's the final tool in our political toolbox, tool number eight, values versus policies. When it comes to evaluating the political positions of parties and candidates, we need to understand the difference between values and policies. Well, what's a value? A value is what we think is good and important. For example, a value for us may be freedom or equality, owning weapons, sanctity of life, affordable health care, and so on and so forth. A policy, on the other hand, is how we seek to protect or ensure or implement the values that we hold. If we hold to the value of freedom, then we might seek to implement that value with policies that protect freedom, like everyone should be free to say whatever they want to say. 
freedom of speech. If we hold to the value of equality, then we might seek to implement that value with policies that protect equality, such as this push for marriage equality. If we hold to the value of the right to bear arms, then we might seek to implement that value with policies that protect gun ownership, like eliminating restrictions on the sale of certain kinds of weapons or restrictions on the sale of weapons to certain kinds of people. This is the dynamic between values and policies. Now, the Bible, as a theological book, speaks very rarely to policies. And when it does, they almost always relate to the people of Israel in the Old Testament and the unique way in which God called them to live in that theocracy. What the Bible does do is speak to values. God has a lot to say about what is good and important in his world. And from this point on, I'm going to refer to those values as gospel values. Because the Bible speaks regularly to gospel values, but rarely to policies, where should we Christians have more agreement? On values or policies? Yeah, on values. There shouldn't be that much debate within the church about what is good and important to God, and thus to us as his people. That is, if we are actually allowing God's word to determine our beliefs, and not the political ideologies that we hold to. Now, it is very possible to share the same value as another person, but to pursue different policies to protect that same value. We see this kind of thing between Democrats and Republicans. If you pull up to a 30,000-foot view of things, Democrats and Republicans agree on so many things. We're Americans. All of them value freedom, equality, prosperity, security. Now, of course, there are certain values that are not shared between the parties, but often it's not the values that separate them, it's the policies for implementing those values. And I think that's something we should just acknowledge for a moment, especially at this incredibly polarized time. Now, we also see this kind of thing within the church. Consider two Christians who both uphold the Bible's clear teaching on the sanctity of human life, especially when it comes to the life of an unborn child. Both believe abortion is an evil with terrible effects on both the baby and the mother. That value of the sanctity of life might lead one Christian to advocate for the policy of making abortion illegal so that no babies will be aborted and so that those who do kill a fetus will be held accountable. However, that same value might lead another Christian to advocate for making abortion legal. Not so that babies will be aborted, but so that mothers won't be harmed in underground abortions, and so that cycles of poverty won't lead to more abortions, and so that other evils won't be given a chance to prosper. Consider the prohibition laws of the 1920s, which made alcohol illegal, but in turn, paved the way for toxic bootlegging, which killed people, and for organized crime and gang violence, which also killed people. Now, I realize that this might be really difficult for some of you to hear, and it's not my intention to upset you, but I do believe this distinction matters enough to mention it to you. The policy that each Christian pursues is obviously very different. One wanting to make abortion illegal, the other wanting to make abortion legal. And I'm not saying I agree with both policies. 
I suspect that the latter position is much more the minority position among committed Christians, but I want to point out the fact that both Christians share the same value of the sanctity of life. Both pray for the end of abortion, and both support many of the same policies like advocacy for fostering and adoption and for pregnancy resource centers. Here's my point. Oftentimes, it's not the values that separate us, it's the policies. And we must be willing to admit that while the Bible gives us clear gospel values, it simply does not give us a list of policies to implement in our American democracy. So here's the bottom line. Across the board, but especially in the church, we should seek unity on our shared values while recognizing that that might lead us to different policies. Well, that wraps up our political toolbox. There are certainly more tools out there, but these are just a few which I believe will especially help us in times like these. If you found this episode useful, take a moment to just consider how you might share it with someone else. And then be sure to join me back here next week as we keep moving forward with another episode in the Gospel and Politics series. I especially want to encourage you to stay tuned for our upcoming discussion of gospel values. Today I close again with a collect from the Book of Common Prayer. Gracious God, we pray for your holy church. Fill it with all truth, in all truth with all peace. Where it is corrupt, purify it. Where it is an error, direct it. Where in anything it is amiss, reform it. Where it is right, strengthen it. Where it is in want, provide for it. Where it is divided, reunite it. All for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen.